You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. You've probably heard of the concept of player archetypes in the past. Things like power gamers, or role players, or rules lawyers. But what exactly do they mean, and how does understanding what a person's player archetype is help you as a dungeon master? I'm Robert Walker, author of Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. And this is my show, where I teach collaborative storytellers how to have great campaigns using psychology. There are a lot of lists out there that describe the types of players that you might encounter around a gaming table, or as they are more often called, player archetypes. This concept has been covered in magazines, chat rooms, system source books, and there's no right or wrong list of player types. But in my experience, there are five primary archetypes that are repeated in some fashion on nearly every list. This is because these are the most common player archetypes that you will likely encounter. Also, some of the larger lists out there that claim there are 10 or 20 or more different archetypes are just splitting up each of these five primary archetypes into subcategories based on very small differences. So for me, the five primary archetypes are the power gamer, the role player, the specialist, the casual gamer, and the rules lawyer. Each of these archetypes has a different way of playing the game, and each of them provides specific challenges when it comes to keeping them invested in your story. So let's cover each one of them in a little more detail, starting with the power gamer. Power gamers are one of those archetypes that most DMs kind of already understand. They want their characters to maximize their level of power and minimize the cost to achieve that power. It is the quintessential superhero complex. A typical power gamer is often knowledgeable about the rules of the system in order to understand how to exploit the system for the benefit of their character build. Min-maxing is somewhat of a sport for these type of players, and sometimes it seems like power gamers are trying to win at character creation, even though this is not the point of an RPG. Power gamers quickly become upset with game balance if they feel like their character is not powerful enough in comparison to the rest of the world. So too many challenges that neutralize their build will quickly find them losing interest in the story. After all, what fun is a superhero story without a superhero? So as a DM, to combat the needs of a power gamer, make sure they have opportunities to shine in the story. Let them show off how their complex build is meant to work. Don't stifle their creativity by making bosses that can always counter their build, but instead encourage their creativity by giving them opportunities to outshine some of your monsters and villains and complement their dedication to studying the system and investing their own time into creating a unique and well-thought-out character. Now, the second type, the role player. This is probably where I fall into. Uh, it's a pretty easy archetype to understand. Role players are there for the story. They want their character's interaction with your world to be very meaningful. They want their parts of the story to have weight to the story arc. They don't care as much about the numbers or the dice or the game mechanics. They just want to feel like a main character in the story. A role player might feel annoyed when games are heavily saturated with combat or when they're not given the opportunity to have meaningful story interactions during downtime. 
So you can keep a role player happy by introducing new plot threads and by making their decisions have an impact on the overall story. Give role players interesting NPCs to interact with and let them establish relationships throughout your world with the various characters. When it comes to combat, incorporate small moments where dialogue and roleplay can be utilized to help staunch their boredom. Now, specialists might be one that you've not heard of, but I'm guessing as I describe it, you probably know somebody who fits the role. A specialist's are those players who gravitate to one or maybe two particular character types regardless of what game they play in. They might always play a rogue, a paladin of a particular god, or a specific race. You can usually recognize a specialist because they have honed their playstyle and their character build game after game, and they're not particularly interested in playing other types of characters. Roleplay and combat may or may not be important to a specialist depending on the type of specialization they've fallen into. However, and very fortunately, keeping a specialist happy is pretty straightforward. Incorporate scenes into your game that showcase the cool abilities of their specialization that they're known for. So if you have a paladin specialist, for example, give them some interesting undead to face off against. If your specialist always finds a way of wanting to be a flying character or flying race, incorporate some cool aerial battles and hard-to-reach story elements where they can take center stage by using their specialist's abilities. The casual gamer, we kind of have talked about these in previous episodes, and they're fairly common in most game groups. They sometimes get overlooked in session planning and story involvement because they don't tend to take center stage. Oftentimes, casual gamers don't feel comfortable engaging in roleplay, and they aren't all that interested in delving into the rules of a system. A casual gamer is one who's there because it's an activity that their friend circle has chosen to engage in, and they just want to be part of the group. It's easy to assume that while the casual gamer is playing on their phone, that something is wrong, but try and remember that this is essentially what they want out of a game session. They get the chance to be with their friends in the same space and interact with the game in a casual manner. What you want to avoid with the casual gamer is forcing them to interact in ways that make them feel uncomfortable. So don't center the plot around their character and expect them to take the lead. Let them be the characters that provide support from the background. That's where they want to be. And it's all we already know how incredibly valuable of a role that can be to fill anyways. So let them stay there if that's what they want to do. And finally, let's talk about the rules lawyer. The rules lawyer is an individual who knows the rule book cover to cover and does not hesitate to call out discrepancies in the rules as written, even to the dungeon master. Rules lawyers can be very helpful when the DM utilizes their knowledge to make rulings or arbitrate tricky rule conundrums. But they can also be, well, we'll say a little annoying when they try to utilize their knowledge of the rules to turn the game in their favor or rewrite the story because the DM wasn't following the rules. Rules lawyers in particular are very forgetful that rule zero, uh, that the DM has the right to override any written rule, trumps all the other rules. So when that happens, dealing with a rules lawyer of this type can be a, a bit trickier than some of the other archetypes simply because they will expect you to deal with them based on the rules as written rather than through the use of DM fiat. 
In my own experience, the best way for handling a rules layer is a two-pronged approach. First, ask for their input about rules interpretations in situations where the ruling actually isn't that important. This will help them feel like their knowledge is valued. And then secondly, incorporate unique encounters that are not covered in the rule books, so they don't have a great foothold on their rules lawyering. Create unique or uh, one-of-a-kind monsters or spells or items that they can't find in any of the source books. That way it makes them difficult to leverage the rules as written for these things since those rule interactions aren't actually written. This approach gives you the freedom to drive your story in the direction that you want, but it also still gives them credit for their knowledge and the rules by asking for their input when it is, you know, useful but maybe not game-changing. So now that we've talked through the archetypes, you can realize that not all players are at the table to participate in the game in the same way, and each style of play does represent its own unique challenges. So as a DM, you should identify what archetypes your players most closely fall under and make mental notes about what challenges that could present. Also realize that sometimes an individual might represent more than one archetype, especially ones like the power gamer and the rules lawyer could be the same person. If somebody is a rules lawyer because they want to be able to power game and make their character as powerful as possible, and that's why they've learned the rules, They could present both sets of challenges, and you will have to deal with that accordingly. Plan ahead to mitigate each archetype's challenges with suggestions that I've provided you here, and always remember not to make your players engage in your game in a manner that's going to make them uncomfortable. That will reduce their enjoyment, and it will reduce the immersion in your story. So just utilize the pieces of their archetypes that are going to help you invest them further into your story, make them more enmeshed in your world through the use of knowing what their archetypes are. Don't use this as a form of of punishing them. I, I would never suggest that as a method of using or understanding player archetypes. So let's go ahead and head over to Tricks of the Trade. Today in Tricks, we're going to be talking all about incorporating elements that are going to help increase immersion for each of these player archetypes. So for power gamers, remember it's about the mechanics that make them shine. They want their characters to be optimized, keep them engaged, incorporate elements that give them the ability to shine in whatever it is that they like to power game in. So if they're a combat player, introduce challenging foes that require strategic thinking, but also give the power gamer a chance to show off those skills or get them unique magic items that cater to their playstyle. For example, a barbarian might appreciate a weapon that deals extra damage on a critical hit or uh, is activated a special ability while they're in rage. So something that specifically plays to that power gamer's uh, type of character or type of play would be really useful. For a role player, remember it's about immersing themselves in the character's story. They want to explore the world. They want to interact with your NPCs. So to keep them engaged and get them more immersed in your story, incorporate elements that allow them to go deeper into their their own character's backstory, as well as create NPCs that are connected to their past or give them a chance to explore their motivations through quests that are 
centered on their character. You can also create opportunities for character development for them, things like moral dilemmas or personal challenges. For the specialist, those players who are focused on that one thing of the game, uh, make sure to, to immerse them, incorporate elements that allow them to use their specialized skills as a benefit to the party. Give them the opportunity to create magical items or craft equipment or use downtime for whatever it is they want to enhance their specialization in. And you can also introduce magic puzzles that require their specific knowledge or specialized ability to solve. With the casual gamers, again, remember, they're not as invested in the mechanics of the story. So to get them immersed, you want to introduce group challenges that require everyone around the table to work together, creating opportunities for downtime activities where they also have the ability to laugh and jest and engage in that casual environment as part of the story so it draws them in and they're getting the friend experience in the game not just around the table and you can also get them to share stories about their characters and engage in in role play that feels a little more casual that way they will not feel uncomfortable but they would still feel like they're getting that casual hanging out with my friends element that they were looking for uh, rules lawyers again they want to make sure that the rules are used properly, especially to the benefit of themselves. But to keep them immersed, incorporate elements that allow them to use that really deep knowledge as a benefit to the party. Encourage them to take on the role of a strategist or a tactician and help the party overcome difficult challenges. You can also give them a chance to shine by offering them Puzzles and traps that require a very deep understanding of the rules, the way that the mechanics of the game interact, and that would give them a great opportunity to, to be the forefront and be immersed in your story because their out-of-character knowledge is helping with in-character problems. Let's head on to our knowledge check. A literary name that you may or may not be familiar with is Joseph Campbell. In addition to articulating a now very well-known concept, the concept of the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell helped popularize the idea of character archetypes in literature. He did a work in 1949 called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, in which he applied the ideas of thinkers like Sir James George French and Carl Jung, combining them with his own ideas to distill eight character archetypes that can be found throughout the hero's journey. And the reason that I bring this up isn't to help you further understand your characters, your players' archetypes, but to help you understand the archetypes that can be beneficial for your NPCs. And I think this is a very important trope that you can incorporate, and a little bit of understanding of what Campbell was using will maybe help you as you develop NPCs for your players to interact with. So let's go through his eight archetypes. Uh, we'll just, I'll tell you what each one is as we go through and just give you a short description of what, what they are. So the first one is the hero character archetype. The hero is almost always the protagonist. It's a central character in the story and the audience wants the hero to succeed. So this is where your PCs normally fall. They are that hero archetype. The next one is the mentor character archetype. The mentor is usually an old bearded man or an old wise woman 
who assist the hero by offering advice or assistance or some sort of a gift. They're typically older and wiser than the hero, but for some reason they need the hero to complete the adventure. So very good examples of this are Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Morpheus, Dumbledore, Gandalf. Next we have uh, the ally character archetype. The allies assist the hero on the adventure. The adventure might be too difficult with uh, out the help of an ally, and so they help the character succeed by providing something that they lack, such as knowledge or an extra pair of hands. Good examples of this in literature and film are Chewbacca, or Hermione, uh, Watson for Sherlock Holmes, and Batman's Robin. Uh, the next is the Herald character archetype. The Herald is a character that something else, such as an item or event, that signifies that something is about to change for the hero. The, this archetype appears at the beginning of an adventure often to deliver a message, um, or they can show up and change the plotline partway through. So examples are R2-D2 with the message from Princess Leia, um, the messenger owl that delivers the Hogwarts letter to Harry Potter, or uh, the letter to the ball, the invitation to the ball in the Cinderella story. Next, we have the shapeshifter archetype. The shapeshifter is a character that changes. It might not be a physical change, but it could be uh, they shift between an ally and an enemy. For example, the character might start off seeming helping, and the character then later betrays the heroes. So the shapeshifter could be thought to be an enemy at first because of the way they behave or the way they act, but then they're later revealed to be an ally. So examples of this could be uh, Han Solo or Severus Snape or Catwoman. Uh, next is the Guardian character archetype, also called the Threshold Guardian. The Guardian is usually a character who stops the progress of the heroes on their adventure. They might not be an actual character. They could be an obstacle instead of a character. The Guardian may or may not be an enemy, but they can often be there to warn the hero that they should not go ahead because it's dangerous. The hero usually either has to trick or defeat the Guardian in some way to get around the Guardian and continue on their adventure. So an example would be the wall guard from Stardust, uh, hall monitors in any uh, you know teen film where they're trying to sneak around in the halls. Uh, the Whomping Willow in Harry Potter would be a good example. And the last one is the shadow character archetype. So the shadow is usually going to be your villain of the story, although it might not necessarily be true. For example, something if something exists to cause conflict or create a threat that the hero has to overcome, it can be considered a shadow. But for the most part, it is that big overarching problem that the player has to solve and deal with. So great examples of shadow characters are Darth Vader, uh, Voldemort, uh, Sauron, uh, thing, basically any great big bad evil guy that you can think of fits into that archetype of the shadow character. So that is it for today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode, Cyclith. And as always, please follow me on Instagram. You can find a link to the link tree there. My Instagram handle is dungeons underscore dragons underscore psychology. And from there, like I said, get on that link tree uh, as well. We always appreciate any follows. 
If you like the show, we would love to get a rating or a review from you on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you have ideas for future episodes, things you would like me to talk about or discuss with other guests in the future, feel free to send me a message, uh, reach out on Instagram or Facebook, or email me directly at dungeonsdragonspsychology at gmail.com. And I might incorporate or create an episode given your suggestion. I've done that a number of times already for other guests who had ideas. And so I think it's a fun way to keep interacting with you, my cyclothids, my community, and uh, keep this podcast growing with new ideas that I might not have even thought of. But until next time, my friends, we will see you next session.